I thank you for today. Today is the day you've made, and we rejoice because you made it. You said you're new every morning, and God, I thank you that you're going to show each person here in some way something that's new for them. Take this time, God, and make it something that really honors you. Amen. Well, it must be summer because a lot of us are doing something else. But I'm glad you're here. Like all the important people are here, right? No? Okay. It was my intention to conclude a four-part series on mammon and tithing and sowing and reaping. And I still intend to finish that at some point. But today I want to talk to you. I love some of the stuff you shared today. It was like so in line with where I'm going. And it must be God because this wasn't my sermon about three days ago. I want to share something that I've been carrying all week that grieved my heart. Now, I don't usually do that very often. I'm kind of a more like think it through and all that sort of stuff. But I had this thing on me most of the week, and it got more profound. I go, God, like I'm sort of, I'm just out of sync right now. What are you doing? And so finally, yesterday morning, God said, I'm letting you feel my heart. And I haven't had that happen too many times, and and I'm kind of glad because when he showed me his heart and I felt his heart, it's kind of overwhelming. Like one time years ago, God said, I want you to feel what it's like to not have me with you. And he withdrew his presence for about 10 minutes, and it was hell on earth. I, I have no other way to describe it. Well, this week, he said, I'm letting you feel grief that I feel about the way my people get along with each other. And I go, well, this is really bad. When can I be done doing this? And he said, pretty soon. But he said, I do want you to talk about it today because you're talking out of the emotion that I have. It isn't just a teaching. And I'm not even sure if this is a teaching. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you can't. Maybe I'm just kind of venting the emotion that I've experienced and what God has kind of shown me. Maybe I'm just processing the the hurt that I've had and the grief that I felt over that hurt. It may be part of what we're doing here at City River. It may be something he's just talking to me about. I, I, I don't really know. But I trust in one way or another, this is going to speak to you, that it'll connect with you in one way. Because as soon as I said, okay, God, I will talk about this today, the grief lifted. made me very happy. Barbara Brown Taylor is an American Episcopal pastor. In 2014, Time Magazine said, indicated that she was one of the 100 most influential people on the planet. So when she talks, she's really got a global perspective. And this is one of her quotes. As a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they are protecting God. 
As a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly towards one another than when they believe they are protecting God. Now, in the past, I would have thought this quote is about, like, Christians versus Muslims and Muslims versus Hindus and religion against religion. But after a week of considering how Christians talk to and about each other, with apologies to Ms. Brown or Ms. Taylor, I suggest an alteration to her quote. This is my adjustment of her quote. As a general rule, I would say that Christians never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting their personal beliefs about God. And the people who said yes have experienced people protecting their personal beliefs about God. Yeah? Now, why is this? I don't know exactly, but Christians seem to be able to disagree, fight, break relationship, and even kill over different beliefs. The defamation and condemnation and the negative way we talk about each other occurs over all kinds of things. Protestants versus Catholics, they've been doing that a while, and it isn't kind. Traditional worship with the piano and organ versus a whole worship band, because, of course, you're going to hell if you drug a guitar into church. Now, some of you smile, but I got saved during the, the revival where that happened for the first time, and it was like war. We laugh now, but it wasn't funny then. We go to war with other Christians over using the King James Version versus a modern translation or a modern paraphrase. Because, of course, they speak King James English in heaven. Thank you. You can be with me anytime you want. It just makes my heart happy. Secessionism, the gifts don't exist anymore versus charismatics and Pentecostals that they do. And people go to war all the time about it. And then we don't even want to start talking about end-time theology because people get nuts about that. And the list goes on and on. Now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with having differing opinions. Hello? Hello? We're all in different uh, degrees of maturity in how we we're walking with God, different experiences, different uh, family upbringings. Being, having a difference of opinion is not a problem. The issue is not that Christians have a different perspective than other Christians or how we apply verses or how we read the Bible and say, okay, this is what God is saying to me out of it versus what he says to you out of it. The issue is that our different perspectives cannot change the way we talk about other Christians. Just because I have a difference of agreement from what Jiro thinks about anything does not mean I can change the way I talk about him. 
He is my brother. We are both Christians together, and I do not have the option of changing how I value, declare goodness and God's heart for him because he doesn't agree with me. You with me? So why have I been grieving so much this week? Why does this matter so much? Because when we talk negatively about other Christians, it grieves God's heart. And everybody said, oh, my God, help me. It matters because it grieves God. The way Christians relate with each other, especially when they disagree, is one of the most fundamental issues throughout church history. So, like Wanda said, here's my one thing. If you don't get anything else to take home with you, take this home. The way we relate to other Christians when we disagree defines the quality and the impact of our Christian testimony. The way we relate to other Christians when we disagree defines the quality and the impact of our Christian testimony. What's coming out of our mouth about other Christians when we don't see a verse, a practice, an activity, a way of life that is not the same as ours? And we're bad at this. The Inquisition. Anybody remember reading about that in history? Two people. What were the rest of you doing? Yeah, yeah, you should have for sure. You always read history. The rest of you slept through this part, didn't read it, blipped through it or whatever. The Inquisition was very much about the organized church forcing other people with different perspectives to believe the way they did, even if they had to torture and kill the people to do it. It's about you must believe the way I believe or you die. To other believers. The world observes Christians verbally fighting, condemning each other, and splintering into all kinds of so-called Christian churches. The last time I checked, there were 124 Presbyterian denominations in South Korea alone. Why? Because I don't agree with you, and I'm going to take my little belief system and go over here and start a whole new thing. And you're wrong, and I'm right. And the world looks at us and laughs. We wonder why people reject our invitation to come to church, because they see all the stuff of how Christians choose to interact with each other, and it ain't pretty. Why don't they want to hear our testimony? If this is what they do, I don't want any part of it. The way we relate to other Christians when we disagree defines the quality and the impact of our testimony. If we're testifying to people and it's not going anywhere, one of the places we need to look is what's coming out of my mouth about my brothers and sisters, especially the ones that don't believe exactly the way I do. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Get your Bibles out or however you want to look at it. 
Jesus is speaking here, John 13, verses 34 and 35. Keep your Bible out. We're going to look at several passages today. John, one more time, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking and he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What are we demonstrating to all men if what comes out of our mouth devalues fellow Christians? What are we demonstrating? It's not this. And yet Jesus' command says, this is a command I am giving you. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of think when Jesus says, this is a command I'm giving you, we probably ought to pay attention to that. Look, theology matters. I'm not saying theology is irrelevant, but people will not recognize we are Christians because of our theology. Hello? People will not recognize we are Christians because of our theology. They don't care. Honestly, they do not care what your end-time theology is. They care, do you love the people that you're aligned with, that you say are in your family? Now, I don't know about you. I'm kind of old school. I'm kind of, I can say this now. I'm 65. I'm a senior citizen. So growing up was a little different than it is now. But those of you who are in the vicinity of my age, anybody ever had your mouth washed out with soap? No? I know you'd probably um, take my parents to, you know, court or I would be taken away from them. But when I grew up, if things came out of my mouth that were inappropriate, they go, that's just a dirty mouth. We're going to have to clean it. Okay. Exactly that. It's like. But the point got across, what comes out of my mouth matters. And some of it's really good and some of it isn't good. They're going to know our Christians by the love we demonstrate, not the theology that we're able to spout. And by the way, while we're here, when and where did we ever get the idea that every person had to believe and behave just like we do. Oh, I can't go to church with that person because they do this when they worship. I can't be around that person because their confession is this way or that way. Where'd we get that from? My, my guess would be hell, but, you know, I don't know. Or if they are Christians... Those people who don't think and act like me certainly are less of a Christian than the way I do, because, of course, my way is the right way. Now, we aren't going to say that, but that's what we're communicating when it says, look, if you are a Christian, here's the way you worship. Here's the way you must do your quiet time. Here's the way you have to pray. Or you maybe just haven't quite got it together as much. Now, we're in good company. The disciples had the same issue. Flip over to Mark chapter... We don't flip anymore. Click on your phones to go there. God, I am really old today, aren't I? 
Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. The disciples had the same issue. We've got the real deal, and y'all got to do it the way we do it. So, John says in the 38th verse, Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. We can't go to that church because the way they worship isn't contemporary. We can't go to that church because they don't believe in spiritual gifts. We can't associate with this person because we don't really know if they got saved the right way, praying the right words in the, in the prayer they're supposed to pray. We saw a man driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. See, one of the big problems with the church and why the world can't relate to us is because we got this one of us mentality that everybody's got to be like one of us. Believe like one of us. Worship like one of us. Pray like one of us. Cast out demons like one of us. Oh, wait. But you don't believe demons can impact believers. Okay, well then, I really can't be associated with you. Verse 39, Jesus says, don't stop him. I'm sure he said it like that. It's not like he's going, now do not stop him. I'm sure he's going, don't stop him. Look, he's doing the stuff. Okay, it doesn't say quite that, but I'm sure he said it that way. No one does a miracle in my name. Who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. We get too worried about the minutia to the point where we split and fragment, where we can't walk together to see the world, to see Toronto, to see North York changed for the glory of God because we can't walk with them together. The disciples 2,000 years ago and way too many disciples today say others have to be one of us or they got to stop what they're doing. I can't go to church with you because you speak in tongues. I can't go to church with you because you don't speak in tongues. <laughs> there are times when I'm amazed that anybody ever gets saved. How good is God? I think he gets people into the kingdom in spite of us rather than because of us sometimes. The, the biblical criteria for one of us is very clear. Being a Christian is not having the exact same theology. Somebody please say amen. amen. It's not having the right name on the front of the door. Or which kind of a Bible translation we read from. From an eternal relationship with God perspective, none of those things matter. It's going to land here for the rest of you soon. They don't matter. Are they useful? Is it needful for us? No, sure, we're going to be more effective if we know all of that stuff. But to be one of us, none of it matters. Romans 10.9, if you wanted to memorize a verse, 
this might be one that would be helpful for you in trying to remember how to share with other people. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's not in here? How you pray, what church you go to, what language you speak in, what spiritual gifts you have. All of those are important. I love all of them. You want to have a class on spiritual gifts? I can have a 20-week class on spiritual gifts because they're just cool. They're the coolest thing to do. But it's irrelevant when it comes to one of us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not sure about that, how much theology did the, did the, did the um, thief on the cross have? Zero. How much did he go repenting and confessing his sins to other people and asking for forgiveness? Zero. How much did he spend time in the word having quiet time? Zero. Because to be one of us is we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we confess him as our Lord and Savior. That's how you become one of us. Anybody who's done that is one of us. Whether you like the version of the Bible they use, whether you like the worship that they use, whether you believe in spiritual gifts or not, whether you're amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, whatever millennial, in your theology of end times, you're one of us because you said yes to Jesus. Somebody say amen. And we got to get over ourselves and this whole thing of talking about the family badly. I got in more trouble if I said something bad about my family than anything else I could get in trouble with. My parents got this. There's a bunch of stuff I could have used some help with that I didn't get from them. But I got this. Once we are saved, we are all on the same team. We may have all different ways of doing, walking, serving, worshiping, no problem. That's why we have different churches in this community, because some people want to do it in a different language. Some people want to do it with an a, um, ethnic group that's all the same. I happen to love that my church looks like the city I live in, although we really need to have a couple of Jamaican people who can make some rocking kind of snacks. But anyway, basically, the, you know, our church looks a lot like the city we live in, and I think that's great. We can meet in differential, different church communities. We can have different relational circles. We are never given the biblical option of speaking negatively about another Christian. There is no verse that lets you speak negatively about another Christian. So how did I get to this thing today? That was all my setup. Why was I grieving? I read two post strings this week that really impacted me. I wrote it down because I can get sidelined and I don't have time to get sidelined. First, I read several Facebook posts from a person that I used to do ministry with. We traveled and did ministry together. The person posted quotes and articles about another Christian ministry that were very negative. 
Yet, those articles only quoted portions of the entire belief system of that ministry. Those articles used the same kind of biblical interpretation errors that they claimed that this ministry was using. They used it in their argument against them. There was nothing positive in all of the different articles and posts that were positive about what this ministry was doing. Nothing was said about the number of people that were saved, healed, and discipled through this ministry. Nothing was said about the significant help, aid, and financial blessing that this ministry was to the people that were involved in it. The ministry was called a cult. Whenever you see somebody call it a cult, if they're Christian, talking about another Christian, it's just another way that they say they don't think like I do, so they're wrong. But we call it a cult. I am privileged to a pastor of church that got called a cult. Yeah. Because that just means they're screwed up and didn't like the way we were doing it. Come on, Axe. <laughs> if you haven't been there in the church you came from, it's just fun to be aligned with God. Because it just bugs the heck out of all the de- demonic influence that other people, other Christians have. This group even had an online prayer chat for the salvation of the leaders of this ministry that they were talking negatively about. Yep. And my friend agreed with everything that was written. My friend has never read any of the books from this ministry. My friend has never listened to any of the sermons from this ministry. My friend only relied on the input of articles from people who were addressing differences in the most unbiblical way possible. And my heart was grieved because it grieved God, first of all, but it grieved me because this friend is sowing something into their life that's going to not bring good fruit. We cannot sow speaking negative things about other Christians and expect to reap a good harvest. I grieve this week because what my friend was doing grieved God's heart. So what do we do when we disagree with the pastor, the cell group leader, the worship leader, the person sitting next to us, or the person who posts biased, negative reports about other Christians? Here's a couple verses that might help. Remember that we are all related because of Holy Spirit who lives in us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are all related because Holy Spirit lives in all of us. Same Spirit in every one of us, even if they don't do things the way that you're comfortable with. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says... For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free or contemporary worship or King James reading Bibles or amillennial beliefs or anything else. We were all baptized into one body and we were all given one spirit to drink. We may not meet in the same building. We may read different versions. We may sing different songs. We may have different Christian practices. But we are all one Christian family with the same Savior and the same Spirit. 
And when I hear something that goes, wow, I don't really get that, or that's kind of different, but we're still brothers. We're still sisters. And we are not given the permission by God to start condemning them. Number two, don't speak badly about other Christians. If you're disagreeing with someone, you can disagree, but do not speak badly about them. James 4.11, the first five, sorry, six words in James 4.11. Brothers, and this includes you too, ladies. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. How much clearer can it be that God says, do not slander one another. Don't talk bad about the family. I could get in all kinds of trouble with my parents if I decided I knew how to discipline my sister because she was doing something wrong. They go, okay, she's in trouble, but she's free now. We're going to talk to you because you don't have the place to discipline your sister. It's not your job. It's Papa's job. I know we don't do spanking anymore, but it gets your attention. I didn't get spanked very often. Mostly it was because I tried to do something to my sister that wasn't my place. There's an old saying, but it remains true, contemporary. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. What if Christians actually decided that's not a bad idea? James said, don't slander. What if I can't say something? I can't find anything I like about how they do church. Then don't say anything. Another thing we can do if we're with somebody that we just kind of are on a different wavelength, be positive and encouraging to other Christians. What if this... Ministry of condemnation toward the other ministry took all of that energy and started promoting the same God that uh, the second ministry was doing. What if somebody who took hours and hours to input all of this negative slander into this website took that same amount of energy and proclaim Jesus. Blessed what God was doing in this second ministry. Hebrews 3.13. By the way, there's a whack of verses I could have got here. I'm just going to give you two. Hebrews 3.13 says this. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, when we encourage, it does something to our heart as well as doing something to someone else's heart. And it plants something that's positive, not negative. Remember, we're sowing and reaping. If you sow condemnation and criticalness and slander, guess what you're going to reap? Just a thought. Ephesians 4.29 this is one of the first verses I, I memorized. When I, when I became a Christian, committed to God, my pastor said, memorize these 25 verses. This was one of the verses I memorized. So I've known this one a long time. It comes back to do it a lot. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. 
Do your best to say something that isn't too bad. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says at all. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. What if we as a community said, I will say nothing to anybody, but particularly nothing to anybody in the church except something that's going to benefit and bless them? Hey, come to my church. Whatever happens, they're going to say something nice to you. That's maybe a bridge too far, huh? Remember, this is Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such words as are encouraging to those who hear that it will give them benefit. I know this in like three different versions. Encouragement is always easier to get than condemnation. Have you noticed that? I like it when you say nice things to me rather than not nice things to me. What if we did that on a community-wide level? What would happen to Toronto if every church committed to only say positive things about each other? Okay, that that may be, you know. Now you're just being crazy, Rob. Look, develop your prophetic gift to say God initiated encouragement. The fourth thing to just think about is forgive when necessary. Colossians 3.13. Forgive when necessary. Colossians 3.13. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How much forgiveness do you need on a weekly basis? Massive amounts for me. I know what goes on up here. This is like really screwed up sometimes. I'm glad a couple of you are smiling. The rest of you, maybe I need to have you teach me how to not have so much stuff. I need to forgive and ask for forgiveness. God, I did it again. You remember the 70 times 7 thing, God? I know I'm way over my limit, but can we do this one more time? We forgive the family the way God's forgiven us. When we get offended by what somebody does or says, we forgive them and ask for forgiveness as needed. Forgiveness is pretty much the only way we avoid being wounded and becoming bitter. And we forgive the way Jesus forgave us. Or at least that's our aim. I'm going to get there someday when I grow up. The second post and the string that followed was even more grieving for me. A person that's very important in my life posted a controversial quote about the immigration situation in the United States. One of that person's close friends responded by disagreeing and giving a different viewpoint. Both are Christians. Now, what we've just learned is we can have different perspectives, right? 
The person important in my life posted this response, and I quote. Makes me feel yucky to even read it again. But I want you to get the point about how we talk as Christians and the impact it has. So here's what this person said. Yay, you care for fighting for abortion, but you care not about any human life. Shameful. How can you even call yourself a Christian? I'm saddened and you're blinded. And the love of God flowed over the people who read all this. We got to laugh or we're going to cry because there's no other option. The string of posts continued with multiple Christians attacking the close friend for having a different viewpoint. Now, these two people have been friends for years and years. Yet this person important in my life was so certain about how right they were about their own perspective that this person no longer has any relationship with the person who disagreed with them and blocked them from any kind of communication on any kind of social media. And Jesus said, they will know you are Christians by your love. What do you think the non-Christians reading that post thought about Christians? Would you go to their church? Would you want them to pray for you? What we say is not just about me saying, I don't see this perspective the same way. When we don't agree, we are testifying to the world that we don't think what Jesus said about our relationship with our brothers and sisters matters. My opinion matters more. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. What do you think might happen the next time that person gets on social media and somebody says something about Christianity or Jesus or God? What's, what's their reaction going to be? If they're sane people, they're going to go, these guys are nuts. I want nothing to do with them. And then we wonder why our testimony, our attempts to invite people to church have so much difficulty because the world looks at us And Jesus gave them permission to judge us because they said they will know who you are by the way that you love, not by the way that you're critical of other people's differences who are in the family. John 17. I know we've read this a bunch of times, but it has to do with where we're trying to walk as individuals, as a church community. John 17, verses 20 and following. Jesus is praying this, and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. Talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
I encourage you, take time to meditate on this passage a little bit this week, however meditation looks like for you. See how it relates to your personal testimony and the testimony that we are developing here at City River. There's three things that stand out. Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Why? Our oneness will show the world that the world would know God sent Jesus. Us getting along, being nice, saying nice things, proves to the world God sent Jesus. You having trouble with communicating to people that Jesus is the actual son of God, that he came from God? How are we walking together? That, Jesus said, will prove to people that I came from the Father. Second thing, Jesus prayed that we would receive his glory. Why? So we could be one the same way God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. This blows my mind. I don't even understand how that can be. And yet he, Jesus prayed it. Jesus was good at prayer, right? He kind of knew the Father's will and heart. And he said, I want to give you my glory, my presence, so that we can be one, that you all, we all can be one the same way the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are one. I have no idea how the, what that even looks like, but I hope I get to experience a piece of it before I go to heaven. Third thing, Jesus prayed that we would be brought into complete unity. Why? Not so we can stick it on our website, pronounce about things. So that the world would know God sent Jesus and God loves us the same way he loves Jesus. See, when we're in unity, the world can look at us and say, God has to be the real deal and Jesus is the real deal. Because look how they relate together. Look at the way they talk to each other. Look at the way they walk together. Look at the way they forgive each other. Look at how they support each other. God must be the real deal and Jesus must be the real representative of God here on earth. Just by getting along. You say, I haven't got the gift of evangelism. I don't particularly have the gift of evangelism either. But if I walk in unity, if I walk in affirming my brothers and sisters, if I forgive, if I'm committed to this thing, the world is somehow going to figure out by the power of Holy Spirit, wow, Jesus is the real deal and I want to go meet him. The way we relate to other Christians when we disagree defines the quality and the impact of our testimony. Father, I thank you that you really did make us one. And God, for every one of us here today, me included, when I have said negative things about other Christians, in this community, outside of this community, on the other side of the planet, doesn't matter. God, forgive me. Forgive us. God, put in us a Holy Spirit passion to obey you, to be kind, to be encouraging, to be blessing, to speak well, to forgive, to make declarations that are life-affirming, not life-denying. Because, God, we want the world to see that Jesus is the real deal. And you said that's how we do it by the way that we walk together. May God bless you this week. May he encourage you with hope. 
May he give you a new sense of passion to say, I am going to make Jesus' prayer come true in my life. And I am going to see the testimony of Jesus go around the world or around the block because I'm going to walk the way Jesus said, do it this way and it'll work. Thank you for going with me, and I feel better. (laughs) And I think Jesus' heart is happy. Have a great week, okay? Amen.